0: If you have questions, thoughts, ideas, or just wanna talk a little bit more about what you've heard today, we love to hear from you. Most of all, know that you are in our prayers as we listen together. Now, let's dive in. met. Um, my name is Sally Malsap. I serve here on the church staff as the pastor of Disciples in Action, and I get to help lead our missions and outreach work. Um, as Mark was praying, um, you may have heard what sounds like feedback um, in the room. That's our air conditioning, and we're glad it's working, so uh, just ignore that. Um, it, it'll be fine. Um, we're excited to have it working. Uh, as we begin, let us go to God in prayer. O oh lord we come before you this morning with praise and thanksgiving open our minds to what you have to teach to us open our hearts to your love and enable us to love you and our neighbors in new and more profound ways amen our scripture today comes from the book of hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 13. We're going to be reading it from the message translation. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who began and finished the race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item, that long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. In this all-out match against sin, others have suffered far worse than you to say nothing of what Jesus went through, all that bloodshed. So don't feel sorry for yourselves, or have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as his children? My dear, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines, the child he embraces he corrects god is educating you that's why you must never drop out he's treating you as dear children this trouble you're in isn't punishment it's training the normal experience of children only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for their, themselves would you prefer an irresponsible god We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training so that we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off big time. For it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. So don't sit around on your hands. No more dragging your feet. Clear the path for the long-distance runners so no one will fall and trip, trip and fall. So no one will step in a hole and sprain an ankle, help each other out, and run for it. So for the month of July, we're going to spend some time looking at our heritage as United Methodist and what this means for us in this time and place in history. Our hope is that by trying to better understand how John Wesley and the people that came to be called Methodist lived into their call as Christ followers, we might also grow in our faith and how we live it out in the world today. Last month, we were in Memphis for the Tennessee Kentucky Western Kentucky annual conference and we drove by St. John United Methodist each day. It was actually only blocks away from the home where all the delegates from our congregation were staying. It seemed fitting that as I continue to live into my call to become an ordained deacon in our denomination, a journey that actually only started in earnest in 2019, um, began many years ago as a baby when my parents friends invited them to attend a service at St. John United Methodist Church. My parents found a loving, vibrant community of Christians at St. John's in Memphis. And as we moved throughout my young childhood in Washington, D.C. and in Jacksonville, Florida, my parents continued to seek out United Methodist Churches to grow and nurture us in our faith. Truth be told, my mom would say that the Methodist had the best preschools too. And for our family who values education, uh, that meant something to us too. But I think my parents stayed United Methodist, not because the preschools, it was because of what Drew and Miriam talked about last week in their sermons. See, Methodist, we're a little bit different. This difference for me has meant that I was raised in congregations that did not scare me into believing through guilt, shame, and fear, but instead taught me and showed me a God that made me and saved me through Jesus Jesus because of love. It was all about love and God's desire to be in relationship with humanity, We see this message of relationship through love shared in one of John Wesley's sermons called The Scripture Way of Salvation, which is what we're going to be looking at throughout this month. When I preach, um, as a good Methodist and as a current seminary student, I normally read scripture from the New Revised Standard Version. But as I was preparing this week, I also watched uh, Marian's sermon that she gave in this space last Sunday. And she read from the message translation. And so that's why I decided um, to check it out and see what it said for our scriptures today. And I was actually really excited uh, to see that translation. See, the message uh, translation started out strong. It said, do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blaze the way. In the New Revised Standard Version, it talks about the great cloud of witnesses. All these veterans cheering us on, it means we better get on with it. Now, for most of you who know, that in the New Revised Standard Version, it starts out therefore, which means you actually need to go back a chapter to find out what um, the author was talking about. So if you don't mind, if you've got your Bibles or your phone app, I encourage you to go back and look at Hebrews chapter 11. The author is writing about The chapter begins with, Now faith is the assurance of all things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The author goes on to talk about the faith of Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, and Samuel. These great cloud of witnesses. The same faith that we heard about in last week's scripture. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God. Our Wesleyan understanding of faith is that it comes from within us. Through God speaking to us through the Holy Spirit and has been present with us our whole lives. We have the freedom to reject that faith, but we also have the freedom to accept that faith as God's perfect gift through which we are saved. I loved the message translation because it says, knowing all that, it means we better get on with it. We don't need to be hung up on whether we're going to heaven or hell. Once we are saved by God's grace, we have the assurance that we are called to run the the race with perseverance that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And the author tells us to do just that. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. So who is this person who loved us so much that he gave his life for us? Who is this Jesus? We are called to learn all we can about his life, how he lived, what he saw was important, who he cared about, where he focused his attention. How he got mad and what he got mad about, what he spent his time doing, and who he spent his time with. We need to dig into scripture and really know Jesus. Jesus was radical in the way that he loved, he spoke truth to power, and how he was consistently and unapologetically on the side of the oppressed. Jesus' parables hold truths that serve us well in our modern context. I hope we can all agree that it wouldn't hurt any of us to spend a little more time reading our Bibles. To be vulnerable with you, one of the reasons I was intimidating to st- intimidated to start my Master of Divinity is because I knew I was not a biblical scholar. And after three years of school, I have learned lots of tools to help me study the Bible, but I know that many of my classmates and many of you here today know parts of the scriptures way better than I do, and I'm actually okay with that. You never know. You know why we um, need to never stop wanting to study about Jesus. The author says it right here. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over the story again, item by item. We must keep our eyes on Jesus and keep studying. Um, If you have some time um, over the next week or so, take some time and go back um, to Classroom 112. It's the Lillian Branson Sunday School class here at FUMC. And you'll see a picture of John Wesley's Bible sitting on a table at his home in London. The Bible was located in Wesley's prayer room, which was a small room off of his bedroom in his home in London. John Wesley rose daily at 4 a.m. for prayer and Bible study, and he kept this practice from the time he started at Oxford with the Holiness Club and continued it throughout the rest of his life. John Wesley understood that to be a follower of Jesus, you had to know Jesus intimately through daily study. In John Wesley's sermon, The Scripture Way of Salvation, he shares that even with this precious gift of salvation found in faith in Jesus, we still struggle in this life. Wesley writes, But it is seldom long before they are undeceived. Finding sin was only suspended, not destroyed. Temptations return and sin revives, showing it was stunned before, but not dead. For me, this is where the discipline mentioned in our scripture comes into us as humans. But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At this time, discipline can sometimes be not too much fun. Both my boys have had the opportunity this summer to practice discipline. Joe spent the past several weeks along with Lila and Pete and several other kids in this room preparing to perform a production of Beauty and the Beast, which happened in this very room um, over the weekend. If you came yesterday, this was a set of the Beauty and the Beast castle. Uh, When we were coming in to the performance Friday night. He said to me, Joe did, he had to go put his costumes where they belonged so they were ready for the performance. Theater was teaching Joe the discipline to be prepared because others were counting on him. Our son, Will, has been waking up at 530 every weekday to be on time for football practice. And this is the same kid who I think would admit to you that he struggled to get out of bed at 6.30 during the school year. Uh, Football is teaching Will the discipline of the importance of being on time and the expectation of being part of a team. There have been many times in my life where God needed to give me a course correction because it was what was best for me. God loves me so much that he puts people in my life that hold me accountable when I mess up, and I do that often. That accountability has included an opportunity to grow in spiritual disciplines, meditation, prayer, fasting, simplicity, solitude, and confession. These spiritual disciplines have allowed me to grow in my maturity and my relationship with God. Through this work, John Wesley says, we go from grace to grace while we are careful to abstain from all appearance of evil and are called to be zealous in good works. I love the image of going from grace to grace. We falter, yet God loves us so much we go from grace to grace. And for me, that is the good news of the gospel. So after hearing the good news, the author says we must do something with it. Don't sit around on our hands, no more dragging our feet. Help each other out and run for it. As I think about the great cloud of witnesses, the pioneers who blazed the way, the veterans of our faith who came before, I think I know why my parents saw that those Methodists they met in Memphis were a little bit different. The people of St. John's United Methodist Church did not sit on their blessed assurance. They lived lives that showed their neighbors in Memphis they were serious about Jesus. From 1976 to 1995, St. John United Methodist was led by a senior pastor by the name of Reverend Frank McCray, And in 1977, the year I was born, he preached a sermon entitled, The Queen is Dead. It called on St. John United Methodist, whose history was as a grand Memphis church, but whose influence had waned to become a servant church. McRae said, we will have to learn how to be servants and not masters. We will have to give up much of our financial security. We will have to reorder our schedules to spend more time with the needy. We will have to spend more time with strangers than with friends. My parents saw a church that did just that. In 1987, members of the congregation of St. John's began the Church Health Center, which has grown to be the largest healthcare provider for the vulnerable and marginalized in the Memphis region. We actually got to tour it as a part of annual conference. St. John has a thriving recovery community in Memphis, spreading the message of hope that can be found in Jesus for those struggling with addiction. The recovery community helped to serve as a model for what we did here at First Methodist in our cares night. So friends, what does this mean for you to not sit on your hands? Where is God calling you to stop dragging your feet? How are you going to step outside your comfort zone to help your neighbor? This is our work as Christ followers of the Methodist persuasion. And our scripture today, I think, gets it right. It says, we better get on with it.